Good morning. It's a good test to make sure this is working. Would you pray with me? Father, I love that last song. The double cure. You took away your wrath and you made me pure. God, as we exalt your name in this place, we want you to know that we love you. We are so thankful that you sent Jesus to be our Savior. We are nothing without you. I am nothing without you. God, I pray that you would use this moment in our day to transform our hearts. I pray that you would speak. That if there's any word in my mouth that is not from you, that I pray you would delete it from their minds even before I say it. I pray that we would all be faithful to the text this morning. We'd be faithful to your gospel. That we would learn to love you more. Do this for us and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my name is Adam Kester. I know I haven't met all of you, and some of you I've met you, and I've forgotten your name, and I've met you again, and I've forgotten your name again, and so for all of you that are looking at me like, yeah, I've met you three times, and you still look at me like you don't know me, I am sorry. I'm just going to blanket that out. I am so sorry. You are valuable to me. I want to know you. Give me time. Okay. We are in Mark 8 today. We finished the feeding of the 4,000 last week. Pastor Chuck did a great job explaining that to us. He did so well that I'm actually going to steal one verse from him. So we're going to start in verse 10 tonight, or tonight, this morning. Do you have the text on the screen or no? No? Okay. Well, you get the reference. We're going to be in 10. So get your Bibles out. If you don't have them out, get them out now. You're going to need them. We're going to be there the whole time. Once I hear the sound of Bibles stopping, I'll start. I can outlast you. I'm very patient. Okay, verse 10, Mark 8. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Don't worry if you don't know how to say that. I don't either. The Pharisees came and began to worship with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? 
And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets of full, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? I'm really thankful to Pastor Chuck giving me this passage. Uh, I know he would have had a lot of fun with this one, so thank you. So we're going to tell this in kind of a story format. I want you to relive this story along with the disciples, along with Jesus, along with the Pharisees, okay? So he finished the healing, or the, the, the miracle, forgive me, and he got his disciples into a boat. What does it say in verse 10? And immediately he got into the boat. Immediately. Feed 4,000 people. Massive miracle of God. Let's go. Let's go. Come on, guys. Stop that. Get over here. Let's go. Immediately. Okay? Remember that. Then the Pharisees came. He got out of the boat. They crossed the sea. This wasn't like they crossed a puddle. They cross the sea to get there. He gets to the other side of the sea. The disciples row in the boat, getting them all the way over there. We made it. Okay, what's next? What are we going to do next, Jesus? The Pharisees show up. What do they want to do? They want to test him. They want to, they want to dig into him and see if they can mess with him. They can challenge him. They can argue with him. I don't know what they're arguing about. I don't know what they challenged him about. My head, when I'm reading this, I'm like healing on the Sabbath, maybe some doctrine about him being God. They wanted to fight. Sounds like the Pharisees. Side note, do you know people who just like to fight? People, when they walk up to you, you're like, really? Not them again? You know that guy? You know that gal? You know those kids? Okay, lock them into your brain for a little bit. Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I will say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. What does he mean? He's going to do a lot more signs. This is only Mark 8. He's got eight more chapters. He's doing miracles all over the place. Literally next week, Pastor Chuck, he's going to talk about another miracle that he did. What is he talking about? Why does he say, I'm not giving this generation another sign? What does he do then? And he left them, the Pharisees. He got into the boat that they just got out of and went to the other side. No big thing. It's only six words. It's not a big deal. They had to row two hours to get there. They get out of the boat. The Pharisees start yelling at Jesus, and Jesus goes, okay, guys, we're gone. Could you picture Peter? Peter, the loud mouth, right? The guy who will just snap at anything. What do you think he's thinking at this moment? Jesus, we just got here. Do something. I don't know. Yell at him back. What does Jesus do? I'm out. Jesus, you pick up the oar. We're going to row. We're going to have to do this again. Where are we going now? 
Jesus didn't tell them. Get in the boat. They went to the other side again. Two hours there, two hours back. That was a little different direction, but can you picture that? Two hours of rowing after a monstrous miracle where 4,000 people were fed. It's like praising God. This is amazing what God is doing. We get in the boat later this afternoon, and you get the idiots, the Pharisees, who won't shut their mouths. All they want to do is argue with the king, our rabbi. Jesus is done with them. So he got in the boat, and they go. The next scene of this story. I don't know if they're on the boat or they've just made land on the other side of the sea. I'm not sure. You can picture it either way. They have one loaf of bread. The disciples. You're assuming the 12 plus Jesus, maybe others. I don't know how big a boat is, but one loaf of bread amongst them all. After, okay, this happened this morning. He fed 4,000 people with just a little bit of food. What does he do? He's heading over there. The disciples, what are we going to do, guys? We only have one loaf of bread left. Jesus, aware of what's happening, what does he do? Watch out, disciples. Beware. You're starting to act like the Pharisees. They weren't arguing with Jesus. They weren't getting angry or anything like that. They were just saying, we ain't got no bread left. What are we going to do? What are we going to eat when we get over? When we're in Bethsaida, what are we going to do? They're questioning. Jesus' response is interesting. These are his people, his disciples. Jesus, aware of this, verse 17, said, Why are you discussing the fact you have no bread? I'm thinking Peter again. Because I'm hungry. I just rode four hours today. What are we going to eat when we get there? I could see Peter leading this conversation. And he responds, Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? No, I'm just hungry. Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? It's kind of rude. Of course I have ears to hear. I'm listening to you, Jesus. What are you trying to say? He asked them some questions about the two monstrous miracles where he feeds thousands. Some would say maybe 20,000 people the first time when it was 5,000 men. And the second time it was 4,000 people. It specifically says that. And he's got massive amounts of food left over. Jesus being maybe a little exhausted from the Pharisees, saddened by their lack of faith, he hears his own people sounding just like them. Why are you asking me these silly questions? This isn't the Bible, this is Adam in his head. Why are you asking me these questions? Don't you remember what I just did? You have one loaf of bread. You don't think that's enough? Who's my father? What have I shown you of him today? How quickly did they lose heart? How quickly did they start questioning? Maybe, how quickly did their faith wane? 
How does Jesus end this passage? And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Do you not get it? Do you hear that? Do you hear the the sadness mixed with frustration in the tone of Jesus? I do. Jesus was human. He was perfect, but he was human. He knows his people need food to eat, but yet he sees his people have no faith. He's doing miraculous, God-sized miracles among people. He's showing himself powerful over and over and over again. And he goes, when are you going to get it? When are you going to trust me? So that's our text for this morning. What do we do with it? How does it apply to us? I have five questions that I wrote down that I pondered as I studied this text. What is Jesus trying to say to his disciples? He says, don't be like the Pharisees. Have faith in me. I believe most of the teachings of Jesus through the Gospels is Jesus saying, trust me. Have faith in me. Believe in me. I know you see the world. I know you see what it's like. Trust me. I think that same message applies to us. We fail quickly with how much do we trust in Jesus. How quickly do we forget the amazing things that he has done and go, yeah, but I ain't got no food today. How often, how quickly do we turn? They start arguing amongst themselves and discussing, and the Pharisees were arguing directly with Jesus. Okay, second question. Do we have a clock in here? Oh, good. I'm doing great. I was a little worried. I taught last week or two weeks ago to the young adults, and they remember I went for an hour and 25 minutes. <laughs> I told that to the guys who play, the ladies and the guys who play pickleball this past Thursday. Uh, I saw the look of fear on their face. <laughs> I played a game with them. I said, I gotta go back, I gotta work on my sermon. They said, play another game. You got Bob. <laughs> Bob is always like, play another game, play another game. And I'm like, but I really gotta do my sermon. And he goes, can be shorter. <laughs> I played three games, so we'll see how long this lasts. Uh, second question, would Jesus travel two hours to get away from you? Would he travel two hours to get away from me? How do I bring myself to God? How do I come before the Lord Jesus? Do I come as a Pharisee, wanting my own way, demanding him to serve me, act like I want you to, do what I tell you to do, God? Is, do my prayers sound like you do what I say? That's how this relationship works. Or does it sound like, God, I am not worthy of you. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. 
He literally got in a boat and told his people to travel two hours away from the Pharisees to get away from them. A lot of times in our lives, we don't, we question, is God near us? Does he care? Is he listening when I pray? How many of you have felt like I'm praying and it's like the prayers are going up and they're bouncing right off the ceiling because he's not really paying attention? Have you felt like that? You felt alone, worried, scared, maybe doubting? How do you come to Jesus? Might be how you feel him with you. Pharisees came with argument, wanting to test him, and with no faith. And he got in a boat and traveled two hours away from them. Okay, question number three. We're moving good. Are you seeking signs and miracles from God because you have faith in him or because you don't? I think all of us desire to see God at work in the world. Some of us maybe. I told you I was going to walk. I'm sorry. Get ready for the camera. Uh, some of us want to see Jesus work in this world, and they, they do everything they can to see with their eyes what he's doing. There are some people who want to see Jesus at work to fix their doubt. Remind me of what you can do. Show me your power so that I'll believe. And then there's some people who say, show me your power because it'd be really cool to see it. Show me your power because I want miracles to happen around me because it makes me feel special. Some people, I was like this at one point, if you're real, prove it. You heard that line? If God is really real, do this, God. How do we come? Do we come seeking miracles at all? God doesn't do that kind of stuff anymore. That was for the Bible days. That was 2,000 years ago. He doesn't need to do anything miraculous or supernatural in our world because we believe in science. We believe this world is very the natural, rational world, and we don't believe supernatural power exists in this world. Which error is yours? Which temptation to doubt and to fear is your fear? Is your temptation? I guarantee all of you probably fit into one of those. God is doing amazing things in this world right now. What does this text say to do if you turn the negative into the positive? Have eyes to see. Say it another way. Open your eyes and you will see God at work in this world. You don't hear what God is doing? Open your ears so you will hear. He is at work in this world. He is doing what he promised he would do. He is bringing nations to himself. We have the amazing blessing from God that he is doing things throughout the world that are drawing the nations to us. Yeah, they might be wars, they might be famines, they might be droughts, they might be just new kinds of planes that 
go in different places and new airports that people can travel. The nations have come here. Do you have eyes to see what God is doing? Do you have ears to hear what he is doing? This one's a little tougher. Are you reflecting on your sinfulness? On the hardness of your heart? So that you don't turn into the Pharisees? So Jesus doesn't have to say to you, watch out, beware. The path you're going isn't a good one. Are you reflecting on what you've done, what you've said, what you've felt, how you've prayed, how you've interacted with people? Are you ready for Jesus to show up and say, oh, you of little faith? That's a hard one. I never want to hear that from my Savior. I don't know how much faith I need. I don't know how much, how much how my eyes need to be healed so I can see him at work. But the desperation of my heart is that I would see everything that he is doing. Every little thing that he's doing inside of each one of you. I want to see it. I want to hear of it. I want you to talk about it. I want you to see it happening in others. I see people coming to believe in Jesus for the first time. I see people coming back to Jesus after they've been betraying him for years. This is happening amongst us. I see people who are confessing sin and being healed and being changed and being transformed by his blood, by his power in this world. Do you see it? Or are your hearts hardened? The fourth question is not really a question. Kind of, I don't know. Did you notice that Jesus responds differently to lack of faith among two different people groups in this passage alone? The Pharisees, he got up and left. They didn't have any faith. He's gone. The disciples, he talked to them. He challenged them. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be the, the disciples in this conversation he wanted to share. He wanted to challenge. He wanted to push them towards him. Push, I guess it'd be pull him towards them. Whatever. It's important to see that. God is faithful. Jesus is faithful to himself. He draws near those who have faith. And those who come to him without faith, he does not. You might get in a boat and travel two hours away from you. The plea in this passage in my mind is that Jesus walks in here and he sees none of them, none of us, who make him, as it says in verse 12, sigh deeply in his spirit. That would be the last thing I'd want my Savior to do in my church with my brothers and sisters. I don't want him to have any reason to go, ah, I'm here again. 
I'm back with these people. That's how he responded to the Pharisees. I tried to count through the rest of Mark how many times did he spend engaging the Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. This is a turning point for Jesus. He doesn't spend much more time. He responds to a few questions that come his way. but He doesn't spend a lot more time going to the synagogue, going to the temple. He's not doing a whole lot more for the Jews. Okay. There's my five questions. Did you notice? The last one was, did you notice that Jesus speaks differently based on who he's speaking to? Okay, I got three application points. Nice. Okay, I'm the outreach guy, so you're going to see that trend. How does this help us fulfill our mission, which is actually Jesus' mission that he passed on to us? How does this text help us as we reach the world for Jesus? How does it help us as we reach Des Moines, Urbandale, Clive, Waukee, Ankeny, Adele? Did I get everybody? Cambridge. Did I miss some cities? Okay. We are the church in those towns. How does this passage help us? There will be people you talk to about Jesus, about the gospel, about his love, that just want to fight with you. I had you think about that person. Remember them now. It's okay to walk away. That sounds strange. Jesus teaches us not to throw pearls before swine. There are times where your time is valuable and you should walk on to the next person and share the gospel with them. There are times where you are going to be challenged. And hopefully the Spirit is inside and He's telling you, stick it out with this person. I know they're annoying. I know they're driving you crazy right now. Don't give up. You have no earthly reason that this person is going to believe in Jesus. And yet stay. Again, same person, I'll use Caleb. In one instance, he drives me nuts, I'm leaving. I'm gonna go talk to Lydia over here, I'm gonna go talk to Steve in the back, I'm gonna go talk to my daughter Grace up in the balcony. I'm gonna go spend my time that God has given me to steward on this earth, and I'm gonna speak his words to someone who wants to hear it. There are people in this world who want to hear it. If somebody would just open their mouth and say, do you know that Jesus wants a relationship with you? For 18 years, I never did. And then there's the people who like Caleb, actually. He would love to hear about Jesus. He would love to hear the truth. How do we spend our time? And how do you know the difference about the person who is going to drive you crazy versus the one who's going to 
welcome you or the person who's not going to welcome you and God still wants you to talk to him? How do you know the difference between those people? You want to know the truth? You don't. Absolutely, you do not know for sure. You trust the spirit in you. If, you. if you believe in that moment, he's saying, stick it out with this person. Then you'll be, you'll be obedient to that. And you listen, and you stick it out with that person. You keep talking, you keep sharing, you keep praying, you keep listening to that person tell you things that drive you nuts. Or you listen to the spirit that says, move on. You've done what I've called you to do with this person, now go to the next. In this scenario, what's the one thing that I've never told you to do? Stop sharing the gospel. Well, Todd didn't care, so I'm done for the day. I'm done for the month. I worked hard enough on him, and he didn't care, so I'm done. I don't think the Spirit of God will ever lead you to do that. Just go to the next. Seven billion people. When they're all reached, then we can sit down. Okay? Okay. Okay. That was actually two of my application points merged into one. We're good. My last one is hopefully a little more personal. I believe there might be people here who are new who have never come before, who maybe don't know that God actually cares about you. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He made you so that you would bring glory to him by worshiping him and exalting his name. But you've never heard what the gospel really is. I don't want you to leave today and not hear it. Amen. So... Thank you. The gospel says you were born or you were made by your creator perfectly. You desired sin more than him. Just like Adam, just like Eve, just like Satan. You fell into sin and he cursed you. You are a shattered image of who you were made to be. You broke his law and you are condemned because of that. His command is be holy as my Father is holy. Be perfect. Anyone feel like they can measure up to perfect? Perfect. And then God did something that the people on earth never expected, yet it was always in his plan to have occur. He sent his own son to die on a cross to take all of your sin, every sin that you've ever committed, even if it's just something you've thought about, you've felt, everything that you've ever done that was an offense to God, even if you haven't done it yet. He takes it and he puts it on his son Jesus and then he kills him. Those sins are dealt with because of Jesus on the cross. You, the amazing thing, the double cure, as our song said. I don't know what the name of it was. What was it say? No, the, second, the one before it. It was rock 
Was it? I'm wrong. Okay, thank you. See, it's good to have accountability. Um, God not only took all of your sin and killed his son so he could deal with the wrath that came because of that sin, but he gave you all of Jesus' perfection that he had in himself. So when he looks at you, if you have given your life completely to God, if he has saved you by his grace, he sees you as perfect. That's the great exchange that happens because of the cross. Today, you can give your life away. No longer be in control of what you do, what you say, what you think, what your aspirations are, what your free time looks like, how you spend your money. All of that goes away. It's his. He's in control. Literally, the Bible speaks of you die. And you are brought back to a new life in Jesus. He, he changes you. I was going to say he starts over, but he doesn't. Because you're better than you would have been if you hadn't been redeemed. Jesus is saying, I want to make all things new and I want to make you perfect. So that you can live in relationship with him forever. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wanted to be in relationship with the Pharisees. All they wanted to do was argue and test him. He wanted to be in relationship with his disciples, and yet one of them betrayed him to his death. He says the same thing to all of you. I want to be in relationship with you. I want you to know that I created you. I want you to know that I love you. I will forgive everything you've ever done. You think you're too bad to be saved? You're not. He loves every one of you more than you could imagine. And he wants you to go, if that's all true, I'm yours. Take my life. It's not worth trading this life for that life. You understand? Okay, let's be vocal for a second. Do you understand? Yes. Do you get it? Okay. Jesus had to ask his disciples, you're not my disciples, you're his, but do you get it? This is what we're here for. This is why we're worshiping him. This is why we have a mission from him, to go out and to share this message of I love you more than you can imagine with the world. If you have decided in your heart, you understand that this is worth your life. I beg you to tell someone about it. Don't leave here today if you decide, this is worth it, I'm all in, Jesus, you can have my life, I want you. Tell someone today before you leave. Doesn't have to be me. I would love it if it was. That'd be fun. Okay? Okay. Would you pray with me? God, you are so good to us, and yet we've failed you in so many ways. We sin against your name every day, every moment, it seems like.
The words that come out of our mouth are two-faced. We have good intentions, but yet we also have bad motives inside of us. God, we ask you to purify us. Take away all sin so that we can see you at work in this world, so we can hear the things that you're doing, that we do not respond like the Pharisees or even the disciples with no faith. God, we ask you, we know our faith comes from you. It's a gift from you. It's not from us. So we ask you for more. We want you to be more real to us than the air we breathe, the food we eat. God, I ask you for those people here who have not trusted in your son Jesus, that have not given their lives to you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. I pray that today would be the day that they see you for the first time as a loving God and not a hateful, angry judge. God, I pray that you would nourish our spirits, that you would fill our hearts with joy, that you would fill us with love, that we could share this with others. God, as we sing another song, I I pray that the spirit inside each of us would erupt in worship. We need you. We love you. We thank you for sending Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.